Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is the second annual Hoop Talk Podcast Awards, and we're also going to look at the first round of the WNBA playoffs. So these awards are going to highlight the recent WNBA season, and let's start with our MVP. Jalen, who is your Hoop Talk MVP? Yes, bro. So this was a conversation that we've had throughout the season that was going to be a really difficult choice come time. And now the time is here and I'm going to go with one John Quill Jones of the Connecticut Sun. I think this is relatively easy now that we're at the end of the season because the parameters for MVP are typical, right? You want to be a top four team. In, in your conference slash in the league. You want to be one of the better players on that team, and you want to be producing at a high enough level where you can be viewed as the number one player on your team. So uh, let's take a look at John Quill Jones, right? Number one overall seed in Connecticut Sun, easily one of the best teams in WNBA this season, and probably most people's favorite to come out at least as a finals, um, uh, come out of this, at least making a finals appearance, if not winning the whole thing. And if we go down and really talk about her career, um, talk about her um, season stats and how that compares to her career, 19.4 points, that's a career high. Um, 1.3 blocks, solid on defense. They're one of the better blocking teams, talking about the Connecticut Sun of the um, of this season. 2.8 assists per game is a career high, 11.2 rebounds per game is just second behind her 2017 campaign um in terms of total rebounds per game um she had 11.9 back in 2017 so not too far behind either talk about the shooting splits nearly 60 percent from the floor second best of her career 36 percent from three which is not the best that we've seen but even that's a jump from where she was last um the last time we saw these women on the court back in 2019 when she had another all-star campaign and of course this year she was an all-star candidate she made it um um into the big game and you know like I said beforehand one of the bigger things that comes down to these kind of votes are you know team success and we'll talk about this a little bit later when we make our um our way too early predictions for who we believe will be uh, the two final teams um, facing off in the WNBA finals. But I genuinely believe that not only does do the Connecticut Sun um, have a legit chance at being in that final two, but they have a really good chance of coming out of um, out of it and being the WNBA uh, champions this year. I have to agree in giving John Paul Jones the MVP, and she's averaging a double-double for the Sun this season, 19.4 points per game, 11.2 rebounds. She's averaging career highs in steals with 1.3 steals and assists with 2.8. And I think she's the most valuable player on the most valuable team. And I think with last year, the fact that she sat out due to COVID concerns and the sun started the year off 0 and four in that bubble and barely snuck it to the playoffs. This year was the complete opposite. The sun started off four and they started the year strong. They finished the season as a one seed and John Paul Jones pretty much led the way. And we think about her impact when she was off the court at her time at Eurobasket. the sun went two and three without her and they did not look like the same team. 
with her without her on the floor. So I thought that she had an amazing season, and I think that this team can definitely win a championship with Jones playing at this level. Yeah, and the, the two and three while she was at Eurobasket, it, it's not a significant record change when you talk about the fact that it's only a five-game sample size, but it just goes to tell you how dominant this team can be on a night-to-night basis when she's on the floor mixed with Dewana Bonner, right, mixed with Brianna Jones. That front court is nuts when you put those three together, and if you miss even one of them, it, your your offensive production can take a significant hit because the three of them together pretty much shoulder most of the load offensively for them as a team. And again, that group, that trifecta is also part of one of the um part of the reason why that team is, you know, one of the top two teams in blocks per game overall as well. So, I mean, Jonquil Jones on both sides of the floor, definitely holding things down. And it's going to be really interesting to see Um, how far Connecticut can get in these playoffs. I mean, of course, they have, you know, basically a two-round bye, which helps them significantly um, moving forward. But, you know, one of the big things that I always worry about, Ryan, is whether or not that extensive rest is going to help or hurt the team. So it'll be really interesting to see it. But if there's anybody that I have to trust to lead their team with that kind of uh, significance, it would definitely be John Cole Jones right now with the way she's been playing. So moving on to our next award, the sixth woman of the year. Jalen, this was definitely an interesting category when we talked about this the other day. Who is your sixth woman of the year? Yeah, man. So this was tricky because all sides would point to maybe like Dierica Hamby, right, for the Las Vegas Aces. I think that the fact that she made an all-star game coming off the bench and everything under the sun would make would indicate that she would be the sixth woman of the year, but I'm actually going to pivot and pick one of her teammates. I'm going to go with Kelsey Plum on this one, who also was coming off the bench. And I, the reason why I picked her is because of the significance in which she was um, producing on the offensive end for this team. 14.8 points per game is actually second overall across her roster, which is really interesting when you talk about the kind of talent that the, that the Aces have. Obviously, Aja Wilson leads the charge, but when you look beyond that, you have to talk about players like De'Erica Hamby, like Liz Cambridge, and so on and so forth. And their team, Brian, we talked about it earlier on in the season, one of the deeper teams in the entire WNBA. And, I mean, this just goes to show you two players of six women of the year um, stature. I mean, obviously this goes back to, you know, we want to make NBA references. There's that interesting year where Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell both easily could have vied for six men of the year. And they both kind of alternated who won it from year to year. Um, And in this circumstance, I think this is a really interesting case where I think despite which one you maybe choose out of Hamby and Plum, I don't think that you'd be wrong. Now, of course, there's a lot of other candidates across the WNBA that you can lean to. This was just the one that I chose. But Plum, like I said beforehand, 14.8 points per game, um, 3.6 assists per game, which is the second best of her uh, career so far, 2.5 rebounds also second best of her career. One of the few things that really stood out to me um, in particular, um, few things saying in terms of things that were glaringly putting her in a different category for me was the 94% from the free throw line on a career high 3.5 attempts from the line. 
nearly um 47% from two point land and of course the other one that really stood out for me was 38.6% from three on a career high 4.4 attempts really aggressive season for Plum as she was shooting 11.3 attempts per game total in terms of field goals attempted that's a career high by about three or four shots so i mean as a player that definitely maybe doesn't get the kind of recognition on a night-to-night -night basis for this team, considering the kind of headliner names that the Vegas Aces have, man, Plum definitely is killing. And the fact that she's only in her fourth year is what makes things even more interesting because I still think that there's a upwards trajectory for her where potentially maybe not on this team, but on maybe a different team, she could easily be a team's leading scorer um, and maybe even a franchise player. And you talked about her impact for the Las Vegas Aces, and she did most of her damage coming off the bench. And I think it was it was interesting to see coming into this season because we weren't sure how Bill Lambeer was going to reintegrate Kelsey Plum back into this offense. And she actually stepped up in her role coming off the bench. I think she even had like a 30-point game coming off the bench at one point. So she's definitely she's definitely been another scoring threat for a dangerous Las Vegas team that is on a revenge tour. I think that it's very difficult to decide who would be the sixth woman of the year between Hamby and Plum, considering both of those two have been having great seasons and Hamby was a first time all-star this year. But my sixth woman of the year is Marina Mabry from the Dallas wings. And she's been an impact player for the wings coming off the bench. And she's averaging the most points in her career with 13.3. She's also on the highest scoring bench in the league. And she's been a huge contributor to that as she is the second leading scorer on the team, like I mentioned with 13.3 points per game. And Mabry stepped up for this team when they needed her to. And now that the wings are in the playoffs, they will need her to provide a lot of scoring coming off the bench against the sky tomorrow night. Yeah. And, Bro, I think the best point that you made is just about this uh, this Wings bench unit as a whole as one of the better, like, bench units across the entire WNBA. And, I mean, this was definitely, you know, you know, pulling for strings because, I mean, a lot of the things that you said about Marina Mabry from a contribution standpoint, very similar to Kelsey Blum, right, second leading scorer, um, high three-point shooter in terms of converting, um, the fact that she's definitely taken an uptick in terms of field goals, attempted the same as Kelsey Plum in terms of jumping from around eight to around 12 um, shots a game. Like the aggressiveness is definitely there. The point uptick is definitely there. The contribution on both sides of the floor has been there as well. And you could argue, you could definitely make the argument that Marina Mabry's production has been um, actually more impressive just out of the fact that the Dallas Wings have legitimately been making a push for the playoffs the entire uh, the entire season as one of the like the low top five, the, the low bottom five teams. Um, in the WNBA, as opposed to the Las Vegas Aces, who have relatively been cruising and have had a different player go off on a nightly basis, giving Plum that opportunity. I mean, when you're catching teams on Blowout City, I mean, Kelsey Plum can definitely drop 30 when given that kind of playing time. But um, the Dallas Wings have been fighting from start to finish between missing out on players and being in a significant disadvantage as one of the younger teams in the WNBA. So you could definitely make an argument that Mabry um, could win this award. I, I mean, you could even make the same um, exact case for our next uh, 
award that we're about to move on to, which is most improved. So Ryan, I'm actually going to swing this one over to you, bro. Most improved is an interesting, interesting award, no matter what sport it is, right? The NFL for football, basketball with the NBA, WNBA, even with soccer. When you talk about the idea of most improved, it's so easy to look at statistics, but I do think that there is a certain element of like basketball IQ or just fitting better within your role on the team that also takes into consideration. But some people don't. Some people simply look at, dang, they went from eight points a game to 15 points a game in a season um, over the course of an offseason. That's nuts and points to them as the most improved player. So, so Ryan, with that kind of mindset, um, with those kind of options in mind, who did you who do you believe is the most improved player um, in this 2021 season? This was definitely a toss-up between Brianna Jones from the Connecticut Sun and Marina Mabry from the Dallas Wings. But ultimately, I'm going to go with Brianna Jones from the Connecticut Sun. She's averaging career highs in points, rebounds, and assists. And she was impressive in filling in for Alyssa Thomas, who was out for most of the season. And Jones became another interior, another interior defender, another strong rebounder, and another scoring threat or another scoring threat for the Connecticut Sun. And because of what she provided, the Sun had one of the top front courts in the league, and they added more depth with the return of Alyssa Thomas toward the end of the season. So I think it'll be important for her to keep up this play throughout the throughout the playoffs, even with the return of Alyssa Thomas. Yeah, and I like this Brianna Jones pick because there's a lot of glaring stats that you can point to in terms of just the kind of jump that she's made. And I think offensively is where it really stands out, right? I think from a defensive standpoint, we've already kind of seen that progression over the last couple of seasons. But in particular on the offensive end, like you said beforehand, 14.7 points as a career high. Ryan, this really stood out to me. 1.8 assists per game this season. Why is that stand out so significantly? Over her last four seasons combined, she had 1.7 assists per game. Combined over the last four seasons from 2017 to 2020. 2021, she, yes, only by 0.1, but to have more assists in one season than what she had combined over the course of the last four seasons of her career in the pros, really, really interesting stuff. You can say a similar, you can also mention similarly it's almost in that same ballpark in terms of defense, defensive rebounds per game as well. She had 4.1 this season, and she was somewhere within the ballpark of about 5.2, 5.4 over the course of her last four seasons. So even that as well. And then on the offensive glass, that's where things are real. This that That's really what makes this Connecticut Sun team so potent in the front court. I mean, 3.2 offensive rebounds per game just from Brianna Jones alone is pretty insane. The fact that she's near an 80% free throw shooter as an offensive rebounder is huge too, because we know that most times that when you go up back, go back up off of an offensive rebound, there's always that chance of creating contact. So to be able to finish at the charity strike as well, super, super interesting that she's been able to be so versatile on that side of the floor. And then again, I mean, like you mentioned beforehand um, with Marina Mabry, and we talked about this with Kelsey Plum briefly, I mean, the uptick in minutes for Jones over the last two seasons has been huge for her, but also the aggressiveness in that time frame as well. Uh, last, last season jumped from what was in 2019 was 2.8 field goal attempts to, to 2020 was 7.7. And then from 2020 to 2021, she goes from 7.7 to 10.6. To get 10.6 shots a game 
on this Connecticut Sun team that, you know, does play a lot through DeWanna Bonner and, you know, our perceived MVP and John Quill Jones to even get near 11 shots per game. You have to factor in, you know, Natisha Heidemann and others on this on this team as well that play really strong on the perimeter. I mean, that's huge. So Connecticut is just in a really interesting spot with the fact that they have so many front court players that can produce at a high level. Um, I'm actually going to go a different route. And I want to get your opinion on this. Um, I know that they are going to end up missing the postseason, but I really think that Erica Wheeler for the Los Angeles Sparks has had a really, really nice season um, and has jumped up across the board categorically. 13.6 uh, points per game is a career high for her. 1.3 steals per game, um, tied for second best of her career. Um, 4.8 assists, second best of her career as well. 3.1 rebounds is the best of her career um, so far. And we're talking about a player that's been around for a pretty long time, right? About six to, um, six or so seasons. And it's just been a really nice player for the Sparks. And one of the biggest things that you have to touch on um, when you talk about this season for the Sparks too, Ryan, is just being available, right? The Sparks have dealt with a lot of injury issues, especially to the Gumbake sisters in particularly. But, you know, as the steady force for the Sparks, although they didn't make the playoffs, she surely was a very strong, you know, measuring stick for where this team could be had they been all completely healthy. So I got to go with Erica Wheeler as my most improved player. Like I said beforehand, would definitely be a lot better if this team was in the playoffs. She would have a lot stronger case. But the mere fact that they were still in the mix with all the injury issues they dealt with at the top, I think is huge. I mean, you also have to talk about some of the integrations they had to make in terms of some of their uh, personnel. Amanda Zowie B coming over, Taya Cooper having more minutes and so on and so forth. And I think Erica Wheeler is a good choice for most improved player because I think when we talk about the effect that she had on the Los Angeles Sparks, think about this. She really stepped up for them when they didn't have a lead scoring option. And Erica Wheeler kept this team afloat in a lot of games this past season. And I think when you talk about the impact that she made, I think it's safe to say that she definitely cemented herself as a lead scoring option for the Los Angeles Sparks. And when you're talking about how important it was, especially down the stretch when Los Angeles was winning a lot of their games, it was because Erica Wheeler was playing at her, at her best. So I definitely see where you're coming from with the selection. Yeah, man. And, you know, speaking of, you know, really underrated players on the uptick let's all let's move over to the coaching side of this right a lot of being a developmental player a player who's gone from point a to point b has a lot to do with coaching i mean coaching provides opportunity but also schematically it does create situations for players to be able to play above whatever their you know whatever their initial means were maybe from a prior season um, and this season was really interesting because I think that you could viably pick out about three or four legit coach of the year candidates. So, Ryan, who do you believe should win coach of the year for this season? I think Cheryl Reed from the Minnesota Lynx should win coach of the year because this team struggled early on in the season. And we had a lot of questions about whether this team would get into the playoffs. Not only did they make the playoffs, they got the third seed and became one of the best teams in the league after starting on four. And then they went on a seven game winning streak heading into the Olympic to heading into the Olympic break. And then of course you mentioned a lot of players that 
improve during this time and help this team get better throughout the season. Sylvia Fowles became one of the top centers in the league. Kayla McBride, who was a free agency, who was a free agent signing from Las Vegas, became another scoring threat for this team. Nafisa Collier played at a high level, helping to anchor this, helping to anchor this front court that was so dangerous for Minnesota. And then Leisha Clarendon was a great signing to add more guard depth for Minnesota. So if you want to talk about consistency for Reeve, let's also mention 11 straight years of making the playoffs. And that's consistency. So coach of the year is an easy choice for me. Yeah, man, I actually have to agree with you heavily on the Cheryl Reeve pick. I mean, one of the bigger things that stood out to me, obviously, is, you know, this team really was concerning us earlier in the year when they started out 0-4. And, of course, we did contribute that to um, injuries. This team was never really right for most of the time in the beginning of the season. But things slowly started to click. I mean, after that four-game losing streak, they started um, they started to turn things around briefly with a three-game winning streak afterwards. Like you mentioned before, and seven game winning streak going into the all star break and had multiple winning streaks throughout the season of significance. I mean, they had a four game um, four game winning streak to end the season, five game winning streak between the, the, uh, the portions of late August into early September. I mean, this team definitely was on a roll. And I mean, like you said beforehand, with their circumstances, they went almost most of June without a loss I mean they were doing pretty solid I mean obviously their winning streaks um were snapped here and there with small losses to like Chicago the Mystics um and Dallas here and there but for the most part between the time frame specifically of June and August this team was pretty unstoppable and let's talk about just the time frame from August into this playoff push um in the middle of September from August 17th coming back from um all the madness um, we're talking about a circumstance where we from 20 from game 21 on to 32, they only lost three times in the last basically month. If we're talking about from um, August 17th to uh, September 19th, they've only lost three times in the last month. That is huge for this team going into the postseason. I think that's going to play a really big factor, but some of the little things too. Um, fourth in points per game, third in opponents points per game. Um, 22 and 10 is above their expected win loss of um, coming into the season, which was about 20 and 12. If you talk about this team being um, fully healthy. So, I mean, this Minnesota Lynx team surely looks primed to be a dangerous team in the playoffs. And it's going to be really interesting to see how their collection of talent shows out. Because if we look across the board, like you said, you mentioned a couple players in McPride. Uh, Collier and Fowles, but I mean, even Crystal Dangerfield could have a game. Laser Clarendon, again, turned their fortune significantly in that early portion of the season. Uh, would love to see more aerial power. She was in and out of the lineups for, you know, extended time here and there throughout the season. So it'll be interesting to see if all these um, really talented players can come together collectively in a postseason, which you could argue is a really, really big toss up in terms of who you want to pick to go to the finals, because I think a lot of these teams, you could argue five or six of these teams legit have a shot at hosting up the trophy at the end of the season. And we're definitely going to talk about that a little later with the playoffs, because there there are so many teams that could be a threat to Seattle's championship reign. And Minnesota is one of them. And when we're talking about other coaches that 
could have been considered for this award. You could talk about Kurt Miller from Connecticut, who turned around this team from a seven seed last year in the bubble to a top seed in the league this year. You could talk about the defending Seattle Storm with Noel Quinn, who took over midseason. So I think there were definitely a lot of other options. Bill Lambeer as well with the consistency of the Las Vegas Aces. So definitely a lot of different nominations. But I also mentioned earlier, and you touched on a little bit more, some of these players that really helped uh, Minnesota on this winning streak and helped them become the three seed with uh, Leisure Clarendon and Nafisa Collier and Ariel Powers and Caleb McBride. All of them I would consider pretty underrated. And this is a good transition to our Unsung Hero Award for the most underrated player in the WNBA Jalen, who you believe is your unsung hero? Yeah, man, this might be a weird selection considering that she did make the all-star game this season, but I'm going to go with Courtney Williams of the Atlanta Dream. And maybe this is a little bit of my ATL roots coming out a smidge, but at the same time, I do think that she did go a little under the radar considering that the Atlanta Dream were not that good this season. I mean, they didn't even crack double digits in terms of wins. This is a team that definitely was not sniffing the playoffs for most of the year. And, I mean, Ryan, between Atlanta and Indiana, we were pretty much shaking our head with these two teams most of the season. But there was one player that significantly stood out for most of the year between those two teams. It was Courtney Williams by a, by a landslide. Career high, 16.5 points per game, 1.1 steals per game, the second highest of her career, 4.0 um, assists, career high, 6.8 rebounds. That was the lead the team. Brian, that is insane to think about. At five foot eight, she led the team in rebounds with 6.8. That's what players like, uh, you know, Tierra McCowan and so, so on and so forth on this Atlanta Dream team as well. Like, that is insane to me that she was in that predicament. And then you go across the board, um, 42% from two-point land, 38% from three-point land, taking 17 field goal attempts per game, which is huge. That just goes to tell you how much offensive scoring load she had to harbor. And Ryan, we talked about it briefly to a certain extent throughout the season. This was an Atlanta team that kind of was teetering here and there, was still trying to kind of figure out um, what was taking place in terms of this team. Um, my apologies when I say Tierra McCown, wrong team. I'm thinking about, I'm actually thinking about Indiana, man, Tiana Hawkins in terms of this team um, in the front court, Elizabeth Williams as well. Monique Billings was an interesting player from them at the forward position. Um, you know, but the constant bouncing in and out of the lineups for players like Tiffany Hayes, uh, Cheyenne Parker, that dilemma, I don't think ever truly got resolved either. Um, I mean, this is just a really interesting Atlanta team that is figuring a lot out. But if there's one player that they – have to be sold on it has to be it has to be uh Courtney Williams and Courtney Williams like you mentioned earlier another first time all-star and like I mentioned with Erica Wheeler I think Williams is, was a player that kept this team afloat in a lot of games amidst all the turmoil that this team had to overcome the front office change the Kennedy Carter saga it definitely hindered this team's success but Courtney Williams was somebody that you could rely on to have a couple of great games so Definitely a good choice for most underrated. I actually have to go with another first-time All-Star as well in Kalia Copper from the Chicago Sky, who had another solid season coming off of her impressive season last year. She has been an impact player on the defensive side 
for Chicago in the time that Candace Parker was out. And it gave Chicago more versatility on the defensive side of the ball, given the fact that Kalia Copper can guard multiple positions on the floor. And I think her play on the defensive side could be what helps this team make it make it past the first round and go far in the playoffs. And a little later on, I'll definitely talk about the matchup between her and Erika Gumbuale because I think Copper definitely has a defensive edge for the Chicago Sky, especially being on one of the top defensive teams when Candace Parker plays. Yeah, man, I think that's a great point. When you talk about Kalia Copper, right, you pair her with Diamond DeShields, and then you have Candace Parker basically playing basically playing free safety in the middle. That is an insane trifecta, trifecta on defense. And, I mean, we can't, you know, we, we cannot slouch on this Chicago Sky team overall in terms of the backcourt because even, you know, even Courtney Vandersloot will defend. You know what I mean? Um, her main calling card, of course, is assisting the ball. And we'll talk about Chicago, like you said before, a little bit later when we talk about their uh, their matchup in the first round with Dallas, which for me is so conflicting because I've been so high on Dallas all year. But I genuinely believe, remember, there was a point where I believed that Candace Parker was the MVP just because of the kind of impact that she's had on the Chicago Sky team. So that's going to be a really interesting matchup between those two. But Specifically, the backcourt of Diamond to Shields and Kalia Copper is going to be pretty insane defensively for time to come. And this year, they've already kind of shown you uh, just the beginning of how dangerous they really, really can be when they have the kind of backup that they have in the middle with uh, with a player like Parker. So I think Kalia Copper is in a really interesting um, situation. And I think that as an unsung hero, this is a player that people are going to need to keep their eye out on. Um, in that first round matchup, because we talk about her defensive case capabilities, but Ryan, I mean, let's not sleep on it. As a first time um, All Star, she's all. This is also her second highest point total, um, points per game total of the year uh, of of her career, being fourteen point four points per game, along with four point two rebounds, which is second best of her career as well. So, like, this is a player that is playing on full on full gas, full tilt, and um, I think that the playoffs is going to be a perfect environment for. Her. And you're talking about a lot of interesting things about Kalia Copper and, and this playoff matchup with the Dallas Wings. I think it'll be very interesting to see if she keeps up this consistency in the playoffs because, like we mentioned earlier, I think Chicago as an offensive team has been great throughout the entire season, but as a defensive team, they really struggled, like I mentioned, without Candace Parker. So I think Kalia Copper, I think the the spotlight will be on her to see if she can keep up this defensive consistency into the playoffs and help the sky get, get past the first round against the Dallas wings. But the Chicago sky were a pretty interesting team to watch this season. And it brings us to our next award, the most interesting team to watch Jalen. You could honestly say every team this season could be in play for this category, but who's a team that was most interesting to watch. Ryan, first off, I have to greatly agree with that statement, bro. All 12 teams this season were bonkers in their own little way this year. Um, and, you know, you could argue that any team could definitely fall into this category. I ended up going with the Chicago Sky, like you mentioned beforehand, as one of the more interesting teams, the league, the WNBA league pass team, if you will. And it's just merely because of the collection of talent they have and the fact that they were such an interesting storyline, right? From the beginning of the year, the main storyline for Chicago was the idea of integrating Candace Parker coming from Los Angeles to Chicago, a really interesting circumstance considering that Parker was the face of that, of that LA team. And we've seen the, uh, the little 
uh, fall from grace that LA has already faced in just one season of her absence. That just goes to show you the kind of impact that she had on both sides of the floor to the point that it really affected, you know, this year for the LA Sparks in terms of just trying to figure out their identity moving forward. Talk about some of the little things for the Chicago Sky. Third, um, third overall in the league in points per game, third in pace of play, uh, one of the better defensive teams uh, right there in the middle of the pack at six in terms of defensive rating. And then let's talk about some of the talent across the board. Kalia Copper, we mentioned beforehand, Diamond DeShields, basically two guard forwards that are bookends in the backcourt. Mix that with Allie Quigley, big time sniper from three-point land. Um, Courtney Vandersloot averaging about eight, um, eight assists per game, which is huge. And that doesn't even bring us to Candace Parker, a.k.a. Uh, 2K22 cover Candace Parker, which is his own interesting storyline because of the fact that we've never seen that before. And that just goes to tell you the kind of work that she's put in over, over the course of her career, but even more particularly in this season. Um, this is a team that aver that had five players average in double figures, two more players average just above seven points per game. I mean, this is a team that got everybody involved. They had some interesting players across the board that also contributed in some sneaky ways, like Azura Stevens and a student Ninhauer, who averaged about nine to 10 rebounds combined between the two of them um, as part of like a bench unit for them. Um, a player I would really like to see play more for this team on the backcourt would be Dana Evans, who was a late trade pickup for this team from said wings that we're going to talk about later. Be really interesting to see if she could get some uh, a little a little smidgen of rookie revenge in the first round of this playoff series as well. So. Um, they were just a really interesting team across the board. And the fact that they were able to get everybody involved, the fact that they were one of the better defensive teams in the league, a team that liked to get up and down across the floor. And the fact that they just have so much versatility and switchability. Um, man, Chicago is definitely one of those interesting teams. And the fact that they're one of the few championship contenders that doesn't rely very heavily on their front court, I think is one of those other things that made them so interesting too. Cause you know, the Connecticut sun and the Las Vegas aces, for example, two teams that are very talented and very deep, but most of their production comes from the post. And although I don't mind watching Liz Cambridge body people between the, uh, between the low post basket, the same time, there's something about hitting that three and playing out in transition that just makes them makes the Chicago sky really interesting to watch on a nightly basis. And I agree with you. I think that this team was very interesting to watch this season, especially with the addition of Candace Parker, because I felt that Candace Parker was that missing piece that Chicago sky was looking for in the off season. This was a team that last year in the bubble battled a lot of injuries and defense was one of their weaknesses. So they went out in the offseason and they got Candace Parker and she was the reigning defensive player of the year at that point. And she had been a mainstay in the WNBA in terms of being one of the most consistent basketball players for in the entire in the entire league. So definitely a good choice picking the Chicago Sky and then also with other players like Allie Quigley and Courtney Vandersloot being great contributors on the offensive side, Diamond DeShields and Kalia Copper on the defensive side of the ball being solid contributors, I think that it would be safe to say that this was one of the one of the most interesting teams to watch. But my most interesting team to watch was the New York Liberty. And Jalen, the Liberty were one of the worst teams in the league last year with two wins. This year, 
They entered the season with a lot of change. They acquired Natasha Howard and, Sam- and Sammy Woodcomb from the Seattle Storm. They signed Benaja Laney. They traded Kia Nurse and Megan Walker to the Phoenix Mercury. They traded Amanda Zowie to the Sparks. They waived Lasia Clarendon and Kia Stokes. And then they were also going to get a season with Sabrina Ionescu, who was out for the year last season. And the Liberty started off strong, and they looked like a contender without Natasha Howard, who was also out for most of the season. And then Benasha Laney played some great basketball throughout the season. She was racking up some 20-plus point games. Michaela Anyenwere had a great season as well with the Liberty as a rookie, and I think I think without a doubt she's going to be the rookie of the year this year. And the Liberty were shooting the ball well from beyond the arc this season, thanks to Sammy Wickham, newly acquired from the Seattle Storm, and then Rebecca Allen, who shot 38% from three. But this was a team that struggled with a high turnover rate and injuries, and they they slowly fell in the standings. This is a team that ends up making the making the playoffs on the final day of the season. But now I think it will be interesting to see if they can upset the Mercury because the Mercury ended the season on a solid note. They had a nine-game win streak, but they also lost the last three games to top contenders in the WNBA. So to say that the Liberty have a chance, it's possible to say that. Yeah, I think that the Liberty have been an interesting team for us specifically on the podcast because it feels like, Ryan, I don't know if this is actually accurate, but it feels like that we've discussed the Liberty in some consensus in just about every episode that we've done pertaining to the WNBA. So definitely can make an argument against us in the comment section that we might be pretty big fans of the New York Liberty. But with that being said, I think that the most interesting thing about this team is the mere fact that there were so many ups and downs, right? Certain stretches where Benaja Laney wasn't putting up 20 points per game anymore. The constant in and out of Natasha Howard, who um, they acquired from the Seattle Storm this offseason. Um, via free agency. Um, The fact that they were getting Sabrina Ionescu back for the season um, after only playing, I think, I believe three or four games last season. And the fact that she was dealing with injury concerns throughout this year that made it where Ryan, there there was a legit point where both me and you had fear that this team would not crack the final eight. And I mean, had it not been for what I predicted would be one of the biggest games of the um the final stretch of the regular season being their matchup with the with our Washington Washington Mystics, I think that in a winner go home scenario, I think they just played up to snuff, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about their matchup um in the playoffs against Phoenix, but the way they ended the season wasn't great, but they got her done. And that's kind of like the mindset that this New York Liberty team kind of needs to adopt moving forward as they, you know, pretty much play for their postseason mortality at this point um, as a team that has, Ryan, I feel like this is safe to say it will maybe transition into this a lot more when we get to the postseason discussion, but this is a team that I feel like it's safe to say that they underachieved relatively this season. Um, There's a different, um, set of circumstances that you can apply that maybe makes you feel otherwise. I think you mentioned this on our last pod about the WNBA teams when we talked about New York Liberty in the sense that their injuries across the board to their top players and the lack of production from those top three spots being Howard, Laney, and Ionescu give them a little bit of a cop-out. But at the same time, now that this team is in the playoffs, we have to look at the collection 
of talent that they have alongside what their resume is this season in terms of making our decision on who we think will make it out of the first round in a winner go home scenario, right? And unfortunately, this team is so polarizing because one night, I mean, one night they're able to have two 20-point scores um, to finish off the Washington Mystics, and another night they're getting killed by the best defensive team in the league in the Connecticut Sun and barely able to crack 70 points. So it'll be really interesting to see how New York plays in this winner-go-home scenario. That's what makes this early um, this early round, this early first round of the WNBA so interesting because there's a lot on the line very early, very often. I think under underwhelmed is probably the best word to describe their season because of the fact that this team definitely had a lot more potential than what they showed this past season. And I think maybe not this season, but maybe next season is when they really make an impact in the WNBA when they actually have everyone healthy. Because remember, like I said, Natasha Howard was not there for most of that season and Kylie Shook took over from at center for them. So, and they also dealt with a lot of injuries. And then, like I mentioned with the high turnover, with the high turnover rate, there were just a couple of things that they were struggling with throughout the season. So it definitely kind of hindered their success. So I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what type of performance they have tomorrow night against the Phoenix Mercury, because this is a team that could end up pulling out an upset on the Phoenix Mercury, considering that this is a one game scenario where you don't know what's going to happen. So moving on to our biggest storyline, and this is another award that I think safe to say, Jalen, every team is in play for because every team had one big storyline throughout the entire season. So Jalen, who is your winner for the biggest storyline? Yeah, man, this one, like you said, pretty difficult across the board because every team had at least one little nugget of information to kill, to cling on to throughout the entirety of this season and kind of follow along with. But I got to go with the Las Vegas Aces Re- Revenge Tour, man. This is a team that came back from last season better, <laughs> more equipped and ready to kill everything in sight. I mean, this team first in the WNBA um, Western Conference, second overall across the WNBA, uh, first in points per game, fifth in opponents points per game, first in pace of play, which is so interesting considering their talent is mainly in the front court, first in offensive rating, second in defensive rating. They're in a circumstance where they have a handful of players across the board who all can kill in their own different kind of way. Seven players averaging double digits um, in terms of points. Aja Wilson having another really interesting MVP caliber season with 18.3 points per game, 9.3 rebounds. The fact that their their backcourt was pretty solid between Jackie Young, Chelsea Gray, and Raquana Williams, each averaging double digits of their own, combining for about 32 to 34 points per game as a backcourt unit for them was huge. Kelsey Plum and De'Erica Hamby off the bench. Liz Cambridge, who Ryan, you thought, was um, in this MVP conversation as well at one point prior to her missing a couple of games going down with COVID. Um, And I mean, even just some of the other interesting players they have on this roster, right? Kia Stokes, a player they picked up later on in the season. Jisoo Park um, is an interesting player for them as well. Um, Averaging nearly a block per game um, off the bench in very limited minutes for them. I mean, 
this team is scary, scary, scary deep. I mean, just look at this alone, right? I said that seven players average double figures. Well, eight players average at least 20 minutes on the floor. If that doesn't tell you what depth is, then I don't know what will convince you. But this team definitely is one of the deeper teams in the league. And coming off of just falling barely short of winning a championship over the reigning champion Seattle Storm, this team not only came back with more talent, considering that they got players like Plum, um, like Cambridge back in the mix, but they are playing with a different kind of energy and it shows across the entire roster. And the Las Vegas Aces we knew coming into this season were going to be a dangerous team considering they they just got back Liz Cambridge. They just got back Kelsey Plum. Aja Wilson was coming off of a stellar year that year. And then they also picked up Chelsea Gray and Raquina Williams in the offseason. And then you mentioned the playoffs of some of their players off the bench like G. Stu Park and Kia Stokes who were giving them great minutes. So this team has to be one of the most dangerous teams. And I think you'll kind of see later on why I picked this team as one of my teams in my finals prediction. But moving on to my biggest storyline, would the Seattle Storm be able to repeat as champions? Because given what happened to Seattle in the offseason, like losing Sammy Whitcomb, losing Natasha Howard, losing Alicia Clark, three effective players for them on that championship team last year, I think it would be tough for them to defend their championship. You can add on to the fact that a lot of teams – just got better this year. I mentioned the moves made by New York to make the team better. The Sun also got back John Paul Jones. The Aces got Liz Cambridge and Kelsey Plum back. The Lynx got Sylvia Fowles back. And they also made some moves of their own by getting Leisure Clarendon. They also got Ariel Powers in the offseason. The Sky also got better by getting Candace Parker, which I thought was a great move. And this was something we talked before the season, Jalen, and we instantly put them in title contention. And then the emergence of the Dallas Wings as a potential dark horse team in the playoffs. Jalen, it's safe to say that this season has made it more difficult for Seattle to repeat as champions. Yeah, man. And I think that that's a really solid point because, I mean, like you said beforehand, across the board, they definitely lost talent in a lot of interesting spots. Natasha Howard being one of them that really anchored that defense for them as well. And it's kind of shown relatively they're a middle of the pack team in terms of opponents points per game this season, as opposed to last season when they made their championship run, they were right there at the top, but they were still second in points per game. Um, definitely had to play at a little bit of a slower pace with the fact that Sue Bird is running the ship and they only had really Brianna Stewart um, to turn to outside of uh, outside of that. The, the main player that really stood out for them this season was the emergence of Jewel Lloyd, who had a little bit of a jump last year, 15.5 points per game, jumped up to nearly 18 points per game this season, along with 3.8 assists and four rebounds a game. Um, my only concern, Ryan, is that Last season, they had three players average double figures um, in points per game, and they had a couple of players average near double figures in points per game, floating around that nine range, right? They had about six players that were averaging at least nine points or better last season. This season, they only have three. And my trouble with them, and I understand why this is such an interesting storyline for you, is because they've taken a dip in terms of their overall versatility, right? It seems like this team is Brianna Store or Buzz, which is a great, a great bail safe, right? Talking about the WNBA's KD, as we always say on this podcast. To have her as your, your bail safe is so great, but 
to know that once you get past Breonna Stewart and Jewel Lloyd in terms of offensive potency, I mean, the wheels really fall off for this team. I mean, Sue Bird just barely cracks double digits with 10 points per game, along with 5.3 assists to lead the team. Um, and then that, after that, uh, there's Mercedes Russell and Katie Lou Samuelson. Jordan Canada, Jordan Canada is still not really blossomed in the way that we kind of were assuming she was going to. And the fact that with the departure of Alicia Clark, you were kind of thinking that Jordan Canada's role would maybe expand as um, as being on the floor more in like a six woman role. But that hasn't really blown up in the way that we expected. I mean, you know, this this is an interesting team in terms of running it back because we're so used to them having so much versatility in terms of not only their depth, but what every player on the floor does for them, right? Natasha Howard got to just be simply a shot blocker and around the rim finisher for this team. Uh, Sue Bird got, had to sit back and just simply play um, the Courtney Vandersloot type role, right? Of just being the facilitator that gets everybody involved. Jewel Canada playing that, you know, that shooting guard, put points up in a hurry role. And of course, Brianna Stewart just giving them problems on both sides of the floor, averaging, you know, uh, at least a steal and at least a block per game, along with dang near a double-double between points and rebounds. So for this team to not be as versatile, Man, it just it just makes you wonder exactly how much of a threat they are in this group this year with the kind of talent that these teams in the playoffs have. And that was the issue that I had with them because with a lot of the playoff teams getting better in the offseason, I think it's going to be very difficult for Seattle to repeat this season. And given the fact that Las Vegas is on the revenge tour and Connecticut got better in the offseason, I think that Seattle will not be able to overcome teams like Connecticut or Las Vegas or even Minnesota for that matter. So we could possibly be seeing this team not make it past the semifinals this year. That could be a very interesting thing to look out for as the playoffs begin tomorrow with the first round. So on that note, Jalen, let's talk about some finals predictions because I think it's safe to say that there are a couple teams that are surefire finals contenders, but we made this point earlier in the episode. All eight teams are really up, up for a, a championship appearance. So Jalen, your predictions for who will go to the WNBA finals. Yeah, man, this was tricky because of the way the bracket is set out. And it's going to be really interesting to see maybe how this all goes down because I'm not entirely certain of where the circumstances will be. Um, and Ryan, I actually am going to flip the script on you. I actually sent you a dud. Uh, I had to I had to send you a dud to keep you on your toes in terms of who I was gonna predict for this one. Ryan, I genuinely believe that there's no way in the world we don't see a Connecticut Sun Las Vegas Aces finals, man. Um, now, let me make this clear to anybody um, listening right now when I talked about me sending Ryan the dud. My initial assumption was that I think I really had belief that the Connecticut Sun would face off with the Chicago Sky. And I still think that there's a high probability of that taking place. The only issue is that the big thing that plays in the favor of the Connecticut Sun is in their best of five series in the semifinals when they finally play because both the Connecticut Sun and the Aces both have basically two round buys. 
the Chicago Sky could potentially face off with said Connecticut Sun in the semifinal round. And that was my initial selection. But based on the way the brackets come out, there's a possibility they could meet before the finals. So with that being the case, my next thought process is that the two top seeds are going to face off because they're one of their both two of the better front court heavy teams in the league. They both have really interesting circumstances across the board. If I had to pick the team that would come out with the dub, I think unfortunately Las Vegas's revenge tour would unfortunately come to a screeching halt. And I think it has to do with the mere fact that we still do not know what's going on with Liz Cambridge in terms of her being on the floor. And I know that this is a relatively deep team, but from a front court to front court battle, the Connecticut Sun have three. And if Liz Cambridge is down, the Las Vegas Aces only have two. And that is a tricky set of circumstances for those two teams. But Ryan, what I will say before I pass it on to you is that the two teams that I want teams to want play uh, people to keep an eye out on in these playoffs in particular um, I mentioned Chicago Sky earlier. That's not that's not part of this group. It's going to be the, the Minnesota Lynx, who have been playing really well coming into this postseason, as we mis- mentioned earlier. And as much as I'm high on the Chicago Sky, watch out for the Dallas Wings in this first round single elimination uh, game that we have going on tomorrow at 8 p.m. on ESPN2. We will definitely be, be tuning into this game. It's going to be a really interesting game. Um, and for a young team, Marina Mabry spoke on this a little bit earlier um, at media day, talking about a young team that makes young mistakes that can't afford to make those mistakes playing against experienced veteran squads that are here to win. That's what she was talking about. Big stage, Marina. Big stage time. Arika Gumbawala, you as well, your entire squad. You guys are a young group, but you guys have feisty, feisty players. It's going to be really interesting to see how they match up in a winner-go-home scenario against Chicago. I think in a series, I would take Chicago hands down because I think that the play of Candace Parker would turn things around in a best of five. But in a one game, pack your bags if you lose the game after the buzzer. Man, who knows? Who knows? So watch out for Dallas and Minnesota. So I agree with you in picking Connecticut in the finals because I think they're they are a surefire title contender because of the fact that their their stability in the front court has been consistent. The only time that they really struggled was when John Paul Jones was off the floor. That was just for five games, and the Connecticut Sun won two of three of them. This is a team that now now that they have John Paul Jones back. They're back to being the best team in the league. They have John Cole Jones and then Brianna Jones and Dewana Bonner anchoring this amazing front court. And then you also get back Alyssa Thomas, who made her her first appearance this past se- this season in one of the last games of the of the WNBA season. Natisha Heidman had been playing great the entire season since being moved to the bench and has become another scoring threat for the Connecticut Sun this this season. So I think that Connecticut is a very well-rounded team, but their front core is what's going to get it done for them and help them get to the finals. But Jalen, I still have faith that the Aces are going to be able to make the finals. I think when you have a team, I feel like when you have a team that's been in a situation where they they lose one of their star players, 
like they did last season with, with Liz Cambridge being out. I feel like that's where you need to have somebody to step up. And that's where you have to look at Asha Wilson. Asha Wilson's been that, been in that position before where she's had to be the lead scoring option, where she's had to take over late in games in order for the Vegas Aces to win. I think that Aja Wilson will be able to do that. I think there's that something tells me that this revenge tour isn't going to conclude just yet. So I think that the Vegas Aces really have a chance to make it, make it to the finals again. So my finals prediction is the Connecticut sun against the Las Vegas Aces in what I believe will go down to the last game. Who wins the last game? Who you got? All of the marbles, Ryan. I had Connecticut. I said if I said if, if it was Connecticut, Las Vegas, I'm going with Connecticut just because the three to two ratio. But it sounds like you're really high on former MVP, reigning MVP, Aja Wilson, which would lean you in that category. But what what would you who would you who would you say comes out with the dub? This is so tough because again, they're playing without Liz Cambridge. And I I said they've been in this position before. I have faith that they'll be able to actually do it this time. So I'm going to go with the Las Vegas Aces over the Connecticut Sun. Okay. Now, before we break down these two games that we have coming up tomorrow real quickly, Ryan, I have to ask you one really interesting question. And I'll answer it as well. We both picked the two top seeds to make the WNBA finals. If you had to pick a team, not name the Connecticut Sun, not name the Las Vegas Aces to not only make the finals, but to win the finals, who do you believe that team would be out of the bottom, the, the, the next six teams in this playoffs, who is your quote unquote dark horse to make the upset? Cause we have our, we have the two top seeds as the teams that we have penciled in. So that means anybody that's not in those two spots, pretty much looking be, um, to make a upset alert. I don't know if you would consider this as much of an upset, but I would say Minnesota hands down because I think, with the talent that this team has had this season, the turnaround from their 0-4 start, winning seven straight going into the Olympic break, ending the season off strong, I think getting Leja Karendon really helped this team in terms of the guard depth, also because they won a lot more games. I think they went on a stretch where they went 12-4 and with her on the floor, which was impressive. And I think that if they could keep up this consistency on – in both aspects, in the back court and the front court, I think that this that that could be a situation where the Lynx might be able to take down the Connecticut Sun because of the fact that Connecticut relies so heavily on their front court with John Paul Jones and Brianna Jones and Dewana Bonner and Alyssa Thomas. I think maybe the play of their back court could be what helps Minnesota get to the final get to the finals to say of their play of their front court because I think Sylvia Fowles and the Feast Collier are going to get it done for the Minnesota Lynx. But I think players like Kayla McBride, players like Lasia Clarendon, players like Ariel Powers might be the reason why they get as far as they do in the playoffs. Well, my team, and I, I, like I said before, and I mentioned this earlier, but I, my dark horse team would be Chicago at the sixth seed. And they have a really interesting pathway because they could, this could be a path in which they could see the Dallas Wings, the Minnesota Lynx, and then Connecticut 
in order to get to the finals. Talk about a road to hell. I mean, that is a set of circumstances you have to go through only to maybe potentially see either the Seattle Storm or the Las Vegas Aces at the end of it all if you do go through that gauntlet. But here's my truth. Here's my truth to it, Ryan. I think the team that takes out Chicago um, is going to be a team that really makes a run. But in reverse to that, I think if Chicago can make a burn, the team that takes out Connecticut should be favored to win the championship. And I think that's under whatever circumstances there is, whether it ends up being the Minnesota Lynx who take them down, whether it be Seattle, whether it be one of these bottom four teams that we have. But when we get to that semifinal best of five round, whatever team faces Connecticut, the winner of that series I think wins the whole thing. I, I genuinely believe that Connecticut has the most interesting matchup across the board, no matter what team they run into, because they have the chance of running into so many different squads as opposed to the aces. I think with the fact that they're in the circumstances that they're in facing whatever the higher seed is, if you look across the board, a lot of the quote unquote higher seeds they may face might actually favor them matchup wise. I think the only interesting one might be if the Minnesota Lynx end up moving on and face the Aces in the semifinal round. But even then, Ryan, it all comes back to this, man. Like we said earlier, there are at least six teams in this eight team group that we could see hoisting up the championship trophy at the end of the season. And that's what makes it so tough for Seattle to repeat. And given the reasons that we mentioned for the four teams that we talked about, Connecticut, Las Vegas, Chicago, and Minnesota. These are four teams that, like you mentioned, Jalen, I think that that they have a real chance of making it to the WNBA finals. But let's break down these individual matchups to close out the episode. And we'll start first with the 6-7 matchup of the Chicago Sky and the Dallas Wings. Jalen, you briefly talked about it a little bit earlier. You think that Dallas has has a chance of being a dark horse team and possibly making it past the Chicago Sky. But you also believe the Chicago Sky have the toughest road if they make it, if they make it past the Dallas Wings to the WNBA finals. So Jalen, in a one-game situation, who do you have? Yeah, man. And I've been high on this Dallas Wings team all season, but Ryan, man, I I I gotta go with Chicago, not only because they're my dark horse team, but let's talk about some of the recent occurrences in terms of talking about this Dallas Wings team. This Dallas Wings team recently in their loss to Atlanta to close out the season also lost Mariah Jefferson and Bella Alari to injury in that Atlanta loss, um, along with the fact that we haven't seen Satu Sabali in a couple of games as well. That's been, that's been my whole thing, bro. I mean, that's been one of my bigger concerns. Isabel Harrison apparently tested positive for COVID-19 is in health and safety protocols as of um, this past Saturday as well. I mean, man, that just that just puts you in a really weird bind because that's at least two, if not three players who are going to be big time contributors for this team that they're going to be missing out on. Now, of course, the big thing, too, is if you talk about the circumstances they're walking into, we're going to be talking about a circumstance where Charlie Collier, who played relatively well in that Atlanta game, uh, finished with 10 points and seven rebounds. She's shown that she can play well 
when given the proper minutes, but is this the time where you want to find out if she's got the chutzpah, right? You want to find out now in her rookie season in the playoffs, whether she's really that girl or not in terms of, or really that woman or not. Um, when it comes to playoff basketball, I think as a raw prospect coming in, this isn't the best time to try to figure out what she's quote unquote made of, right? So when we talk about this matchup, it, not, does, it goes beyond just late game execution and some of the big things that we've harped on with the Dallas Wings all season. Those injuries and missing key players, I think Isabel Harrison is a, a bigger loss than most people understand. If you remember, I was vying for her to get significant playing time over the rookies in Aquier um, and Charlie, Charlie Collier because of the fact that she's been playing so well for them. Mix that with Mariah Jefferson as well, who's a solid defensive stopper for them on the wing area. I mean, it's pretty much Arika Gumbawale and the Troopers, you know, going out there. Now, I think this will be a big game for her and Marina Mabry, but I just think Chicago's too uh, versatile and they're coming in full strength as a team that has an MVP on the team that is not going to play, quote unquote, down to the competition, talking about Dallas, who's going to be undermanned. Yeah, the Wings had a great season this this year, and they definitely peaked earlier than you and I thought because we weren't sure if this team was a playoff contender before the season started. But I think the one big thing that gives the edge for me to Chicago in this series is playoff experience. And let me read you something I found off of ESPN, Jalen, because this has to be the most interesting stat that I've seen going into a playoff game. Dallas's roster has combined to play 10 playoff games in 146 minutes, which is the fewest for any playoff team since the 2002 Seattle storm. That was Superd's rookie year. And another interesting stat to point out, four different Chicago players, uh, Stephanie Dolson, Candace Parker, Allie Quigley, and Courtney Vandersloot, they have more playoff minutes than all of the Dallas Wings roster combined. So I think that Chicago has the edge in terms of playoff experience. They definitely have the veteran experience as well. They have a a very solid offense, averaging 83.3 points per game, which is the third highest in the league. Courtney Vandersloot, I think, could be a huge X factor on the offensive side, given the fact that she's one of the best facilitators in the league. And I think ball movement is going to be huge in this game, trying to spread the floor, trying to get the ball to everyone. I don't think that Candace Parker is going to have a bad game. In fact, I think Candace Parker could have the best game of her season with Chicago in this game. But I think the other thing to point out, though, when I was talking about the matchup between Enrique Gumbawale and Kalia Copper, I think defensively that's going to be important because Kalia Copper is your best wing defender. She can play multiple positions on the floor. You need your best wing defender to guard the opponent's best player, and the opponent's best player is uh, Arike Agumbuwale. I think that it's going to be prevalent for Kalia Copper to be matched up with Arike Agumbuwale because you do not want her beating you. You want to force someone else on the Dallas Wings to beat you. And Ryan, I think this is really the big thing that's going to touch um, a lot of people when they watch this game is I think the matchup, when you talk about Kalia Copper facing off with Arika Goombawale, I also think you should double that by talk, talking about Diamond DeShields, who I mentioned earlier, talking about their wing bookends. I think if you put Diamond DeShields on Marina Mabry, 
at that point, bro, offensively, I don't know who on Dallas is with the smoke. I don't, I don't know who that is. And I, whoever has to defend Candace Parker, good luck. Whoever's being defended by Candace Parker, good luck. When you look across the board, let's talk about the fact that Courtney Vandersloot is going to be in a really interesting situation as not only a facilitator, but I think this might be one of her better scoring output games. Um, I, I would say that Courtney Vandersloot is actually the dark horse to lead um, this team is scoring in this elimination game. I genuinely believe that Courtney Vandersloot could be the X factor in this game, not only from a facilitating standpoint, but from a three-point shooting standpoint, I would not be surprised if her or Allie Quigley were laying down bombs. Those are the two that I would really watch out for from a three-point standpoint. Um, and Candace Parker, like you said beforehand, I mean, basically has been a team player all year, but now is money time. So I would not be shocked at all if she were the one to lead this team in scoring, just out of the mere fact that I don't know who on the Dallas Wings can mess with her on the defensive end. I think that she's going to be having a field day. And I'm not to disrespect anybody on the Dallas Wings, but with all the kind of injuries they have, especially in the front court, as my boy Shaq says on TNT, it might be barbecue chicken, bro. It's going to be kind of ridiculous. I, I, it's going to be a really interesting game. I think based on what we're both saying, we can agree that Chicago is going to come out of this, um, maybe not handily, but they, they're definitely going to come out of this looking pretty solid. Do you agree with me? I agree. I think the Chicago Sky will be able to defeat Dallas tomorrow night. I won't say handily because I do think that Ricky Gunwala could have could have a great game. I think Marina Mabry could step up for them, but I think it's going to be very tough. It's going to be very tough, especially without Isabel Harrison and without Satu Sabali. Are you going to rely on Charlie Collier and Awak Quier? Are you going to rely on them to step up for you? That's a tough question, but. I don't think Dallas has a choice, but to rely on them to step up. Yeah, man. Uh, now let's get to the really polarizing matchup. The one that really can go really, really can go either way. And that's uh, Phoenix versus New York. Ryan, I remember when New York cracked the top eight, you said, how in the world did they pass Washington considering the win differential? But, hey, man, they're here. They finished the job. They won the big game. We said this beforehand. They had the upside because they beat the Washington Mystics in that final season, uh, that final game of the regular season, and that's what turned their luck around. But let's talk about it, Ryan. Let's, let's really talk about it. In the post-Olympic break, the New York Liberty have only won two games and have lost nine. They're 2-11 and 11 in their last uh, – they're 2-9 and nine in their last 11 games. But the Phoenix Mercury – they ain't coming into the playoffs very hot either. They lost their last three games of the regular season coming in as the fifth seed, and they lost their their what was the reigning Western Conference Player of the Week and Brittany grinded to a leg injury last Wednesday in said game against the New York Liberty. So um, the, about a week ago prior to that Mystics game. So, Ryan, we're talking about a situation where the Phoenix Mercury aren't potentially are potentially not going to have Brittany Griner on the floor. Both teams aren't coming in very good. Both teams pretty much have a clean slate in a single elimination game. Ryan, does this simply come down to the fact that Skylar Diggins-Smith versus Sabrina Ionescu could be the greatest form of one-on-one -on -one basketball we've ever seen on a WNBA court? 
I would have to say yes. And when you get Sabrina at her best, when you get Skyler at her best, I think it's going to be a true battle of who's the better league guard between these two. Because Skyler mm-hmm. proved it during the season when Diana Taurasi was out. Sabrina is capable of becoming a top league guard. I think that there is there's so many different factors in this. And then when you talk about the fact that Brittany Griner may not play, this is almost perfect timing for New York to get Natasha Howard because of the fact that if Brittany Griner doesn't play, Natasha Howard could have one of her best games of the season against a front court that doesn't have one of the best players in the league in Brittany Griner. But the problem is New York is coming into the playoffs with the worst winning percentage ever for a WNBA playoff team. They are 12 and 20. Phoenix is 10 and 0 against teams this season with a 500 or worse record. So I think that as much as I want to favor New York and what they've been able to do this season, I have to go with Phoenix. I think that Skylar Diggins Smith is going to get it done. I think when we look at the supporting cast, Kia Nurse is going to have to have a great game. I think Brianna Turner is going to have to hold it down in the front court in place of Brittany Griner if she doesn't play. I think it's going to be a close game if Griner doesn't play. If Griner plays, I think it could be a 10 to 15 point win for the Mercury. Okay, so Brittany Griner to you is a swing player for this team where you believe that the Phoenix Mercury will win regardless of if she's on the floor. But if she is on the floor, this could be way out of hand in terms of what she could do on the offensive and defensive end. I think that's a great point, and that's exactly why I believe that Natasha Howard on the other side is the X factor because her matchup with Brittany Griner, I was going to say, is the most important matchup, I would say, arguably in the entire game. I think that Benajah Laney versus um, Skylar Diggins-Smith or Sabrina versus Skylar Diggins-Smith is going to be huge. But I think that battle in the trenches between Howard um, and Griner is going to be really important. And if Griner doesn't play, man, then things really get tricky. Because, Ryan, one thing that we need to really count um, count into this is that, yes, New York has not been great this season. But they're entering this playoff situation coming off of what essentially was a single elimination winner go home game for them against the Washington Mystics, right? And with their backs against the wall, Sabrina Ionescu drops 22 and 9. Natasha Howard drops 24 and 10. And Benazia Laney, although wasn't the type of scorer she typically is, had 10 points and 11 assists in this game, in that game against Washington. Even more importantly, guess what they did to potential MVP candidate Tina Charles? Held her to 10 points, seven assists, and only four rebounds in a winner-go-home game. It was pretty much up to Ariel Atkins with 29 points to carry this team to even make things relatively competitive. So what I will say is, And this is why I'm going to go with the New York Liberty. That is my choice. I'm going with the New York Liberty in this game. And it's because Sabrina Ionescu and Natasha Howard, the Shaq-Kobe comparisons, how real are they? We're still not entirely sure yet. But what I do know right now is they've already faced a winner-go-home scenario coming into this playoffs 
um, into these playoffs, and they've already shown that they can rise to the occasion. The Phoenix Mercury are not coming in on a similar height. They're coming in on losing three games, all against teams they could see in these playoffs if they get past the first round. As opposed to the New York Liberty, they are coming off one of the biggest games of their season, and they're going right back into the same kind of atmosphere on the road to Phoenix. I got the New York Liberty winning this game. I got I got the New York Liberty coming out on top. And on that note, transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, given this interesting playoff matchup, who do you think is going to win tomorrow night between the New York Liberty and the Phoenix Mercury? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.